0: Your source when you need answers. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Welcome aboard. Well, what else is in the news? Nothing but COVID. So we will, of course, talk some about that. But you know what? Uh, It's also time to take maybe just a little bit of a break, have a little bit of a fun. Uh, So uh, we'll also have uh, a quiz, and we'll do it the way that uh, we've done it before. You call up. I start asking you questions. And if you get it right, you get a second question. If you get that right, you get a third question. So we'll have a little bit of fun. Take your mind off of the uh, uh, COVID business. But first uh, question that I posed earlier today. Uh, COVID affects every aspect of our life, including the production of beer. And the question was, what is this connection? What's the connection to beer production and beer? this virus it's an interesting one beer manufacturers use carbon dioxide in order to have a standardized amount of co2 gas in their product now of course when beer is made it is made by a natural fermentation process uh, with barley usually and when you ferment the sugars in barley of course you get alcohol ethanol that's the reason that beer has its particular appeal Beer, of course, also has hops that give it its bitter flavor. But when you ferment the sugars in the barley, besides the alcohol, you also produce carbon dioxide. And carbon dioxide is is what puts the bubbles into, into beer. So natural beer production will have bubbles in it. However, that can vary depending on processes. It can depend on on many factors, uh, such as the temperature of the brewing, the exact amount of sugar in in there. So in order to make sure that there's a a standardized amount or uniform amount of, of carbon dioxide in the beer, the producers purchase carbon dioxide and pump that into the beer. And uh, this is a time-honored process. In fact, uh, uh, way back, uh, hundreds of years ago, Joseph Priestley, the great British chemist, uh, was really the first one to uh, uh, try to use this idea uh, to make carbonated water. He was living next to a brewery, and he realized that fermentation produces carbon dioxide, and he wondered if that carbon dioxide could be used in any other way just uh, than in beer and he decided that he would pump some of that carbon dioxide into water and made the first carbonated water, or I guess we would now call it soda water or seltzer water. So the beer industry uses carbon dioxide, and it's not only the beer industry that uses it, the soft drink industry, of course, also. Uh, Beverages like Coke and Pepsi and 7-Up use huge amounts of carbon dioxide in order to pump into their beverages. All right, so what is the COVID connection? There is less carbon dioxide available for purchase by these companies now because less is being produced. And why is less being produced? Because the carbon dioxide for commercial use comes from ethanol manufacture. There are a large number of ethanol manufacturing facilities around North America. Ethanol is being produced mostly by fermentation of corn, although you can also produce it by fermenting anything that contains carbohydrates, so any plant materials of all kinds. You ferment it and you produce ethanol. What's the ethanol for? It's a gasoline additive. Gasoline contains about 10% ethanol, and some gasolines, of course, the gasohols, contain a higher percentage, Almost all gasoline contains ethanol, up to about 10%. That's a lot of ethanol that is needed. Why do they blend it into gasoline? Because it is actually cheaper to produce than petroleum products. Gasoline is essentially made by the fractional distillation of petroleum, certain boiling range of compounds. Uh, Gasoline is not one compound, it's a mixture of many compounds. And if you can eliminate some of the petroleum that is needed and replace it by ethanol, uh, it is good both in in, in terms of of, uh, burning because ethanol burns more cleanly than than, um, the petroleum compounds and, of course, also because it can be made from a renewable resource. Uh, Corn is a renewable resource, and you can ferment corn, meaning that you just add uh, enzymes to corn that break it down into alcohol and carbon dioxide. So the alcohol goes for the gasoline industry, and uh, the carbon dioxide is uh, sold to numerous manufacturers who use it uh, for beverages and for other uses as well. Uh, Carbon dioxide is actually a, a very important industrial chemical. It is commonly used in the water purification industry. When you purify water as a municipal water treatment, you want to make sure that it has the right amount of calcium and magnesium in the water. Uh, This is important for two reasons. One, it uh, gives the the water a certain taste. Uh, Water that has no minerals dissolved in it uh, tastes very, very flat. Uh, But there's another reason, because if you have mineral content in the water, the water is less corrosive. It is less acidic. Many waters, natural occurring waters are, are, are on the low side in, of the pH spectrum, and they will corrode pipes. If you have a high enough mineral content, calcium compounds, magnesium compounds in the water, then the water becomes harder. That's the term that is used. Uh, but soft water is more corrosive. So how do you do this? Well, in order to get uh, calcium bicarbonate and magnesium bicarbonate into water, which are the soluble forms of those minerals, uh, what you need to do is take some naturally occurring minerals like dolomite, which is a mixture of calcium and magnesium silicates, and you uh, treat this with carbon dioxide. And when you treat those compounds with carbon dioxide, you form calcium bicarbonate and magnesium bicarbonate, and that is uh, what is added to municipal uh, water. So you can imagine that around the world, uh, with all of the water treatment systems uh, being used, there's a demand for carbon dioxide. So, you know, carbon dioxide is very often kind of targeted as the evil chemical that, um, you know, is responsible for climate change. Which of course is is correct i mean every time that we burn any kind of fuel whether it be a car or an airplane or or a ship of some kind the fuel burns it produces energy of course but it releases carbon dioxide and the carbon dioxide builds up in the atmosphere and uh, it kind of has the greenhouse effect in fact that term is very commonly used It prevents heat from the surface of the Earth from um, escaping into space. It's reflected back, and this is why we are seeing uh, climate change. We're seeing an average increase in uh, temperature of of the world. So, of course, there is a move in order to try to reduce uh, carbon dioxide concentrations in the atmosphere by reducing uh, travel or by making it more efficient. And I I guess one of the uh, very, very few... uh, Benefits of this whole uh, virus problem that we're dealing with is that uh, there's far less transportation, and therefore there's less carbon dioxide being released into the air. But again, I mentioned carbon dioxide also is a very important industrial chemical used in the beverage industry, Uh, beer makers use it, and now because there's less need for gasoline because people are driving less, There's less need for ethanol production, which is used in gasoline, and because there's less ethanol being produced, there's less carbon dioxide being produced, there's less available for beer production, less available for soft drink production. So it's very interesting how this COVID crisis has its tentacles everywhere, even reaching into the beer industry. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. We'll check traffic and be right back. Life's everyday mystery solved. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD eight hundred. You can always text your messages to five one four eight hundred five one four eight hundred. Good thing we have this text messaging uh, because uh, I did misspeak uh, when I was talking about dolomite. Dolomite, of course, is calcium and magnesium carbonate, not silicate. And uh, when you treat those carbonates with carbon dioxide, you get the bicarbonates. Uh, although of, you can also take uh, calcium and magnesium silicate and treat those with uh, carbon dioxide and get the bicarbonates, but dolomite is the carbonate, not the uh, not the silicate. Okay, uh, 514-790-0800 is our number if you want to play a little bit. Uh, little science quiz get on the line and uh, we'll ask you some interesting questions and see how you do so get on the line at 514-790-0800 take our mind off this covid scourge uh also an interesting uh, text message whether or not the reason that there's a shortage of rubbing alcohol that is isopropanol uh, in the pharmacies is because of the uh, ethanol shortage which I I just mentioned no Um, isopropyl alcohol is not a byproduct of uh, fermentation it's uh, actually made by um, adding um, water to propene propene is a uh, gas found in, in natural gas, or it can be made by fractional distillation of, uh, uh, of petroleum. Uh, so there are several manufacturing techniques for making rubbing alcohol, but no, it is not a byproduct of, uh, of fermentation. Okay, uh, before we get on to anything else, i tell you about a story that is going to emerge. You're going to hear, uh, I think, a fair bit about it in, in the coming days. But I also want to precede my remarks by saying that this is at this point, it is very premature. There may be something to it, uh, but we have to wait until the experiments are done. We've learned a lesson with hydroxychloroquine and with chloroquine uh, which uh, were uh, hyped beyond belief uh, by people who didn't know what they were talking about. And uh, we don't want to make the same kind of mistake with uh, other reagents. <clears throat> All right. So this story comes to us from New York, where in a number of hospitals, they are now uh, engaged in running a trial using intravenous famotidine. That's the drug that you may have heard of as Pepsid. Pepsid is, is sold in pharmacies around the world for the treatment of, of heartburn. It reduces stomach acidity. Now there's a very interesting background to this story. When a, a physician was, an American physician was in China uh, during the uh, first uh, signs of the outbreak in, in Wuhan, uh, he was consulting with a lot of Chinese doctors and uh, learned that there were a lot of older people who were dying, but the people who were taking this uh, heartburn medication, famotidine, uh, were less likely to be among the dead. And uh, this stuck in his mind. And when he came back to the U.S., uh, he uh, started asking around if anyone had any idea why there could be such a connection. And there was a theory that was hatched that maybe famotidine latches on to one of the enzymes that uh, uh, is needed by the coronavirus to uh, replicate And this is now being checked out with computer modeling. And there seems that there actually may be something uh, to this. There also have been some anecdotes uh, in the U.S. about people, uh, after this information kind of sneaked out of China, people taking high doses of oral famotidine and feeling better. But again, this is just anecdotal. On the other hand, this hospital system in New York is now running a proper controlled trial. But here is the the crux of it. They are using intravenous famotidine. They're not using the pills that you buy in the pharmacy. And they're using this intravenously at a concentration that is far, far higher than the concentration that is found in the pills. They have uh, experiments now underway in several hospitals. There is a bit of an issue, and a bit of an issue is that uh, of course what you want to do when you have a a situation like this is have a controlled trial in which some of the patients are getting the drug and uh, equal number of patients who are uh, matched uh, in every way uh, don't get the drug and neither the patients nor the the experimenters know who is getting what. This is what we call a a randomized double blind trial. The problem is that because of all of the hype with uh, hydroxychloroquine, most of these hospitals are giving hydroxychloroquine to uh, patients anyway, even though not only is there no evidence that it's beneficial, but as you may know, last Friday we had the first study showing that it can actually be detrimental, that there were more deaths in the group that was taking the uh, uh, hydroxychloroquine. So anyway, they were unable to find a, a control group because all of the seriously ill COVID patients in these hospitals were also getting hydroxychloroquine. So therefore, the trial that is being done now is in patients. The experimental arm uh, of this study, they are getting uh, the drug, Pepsid, but they're also getting hydroxychloroquine because everyone in that hospital system is getting it. And the control group is getting only hydroxychloroquine. So the trial is matching the combined effect of hydroxychloroquine and Pepsid against hydroxychloroquine, which actually Probably has no effect at all, so the the, the trial could in fact be quite uh, meaningful. But it's going to be several weeks until uh, you find out what is uh, is going on here. And uh, you know, sometimes uh, effective drugs emerge in the most interesting fashion. It's certainly impossible to say at this point whether or not there's something uh, to this. Uh, it was an interesting aha moment in China when the doctors noticed that gee you know a lot of older people especially over the age of 80 are dying when they contract uh, this virus but they're not all dying at the same rate and some were more prone to death than others and when they started to look what there was you know what was the common feature to the ones who seemed to have better chance of survival it turned out that they were among the poorer population not only were they among the poorer, but they were poorer who were suffering from heartburn. And uh, famotidine or Pepsid is the cheapest drug that is available for uh, treatment of of heartburn. There are other drugs that are uh, Prilosec, for example, uh, that probably are more effective and are more expensive, but the uh, poorer people were not able to afford those. So they were taking the cheapest generic available, which was famotidine, and uh, the observation was made that they were suffering less uh, from uh, uh, death due to covid this is uh, you know one of those aha moments where you say well you know let's look a bit further into this maybe there is a connection so they are now looking further into it but again I, you know i want to make it very clear that at this point this is very premature it's a theory it's a theory and in science we propose a theory then you carry out an An investigation and see whether or not the theory holds and um, the investigation is now being carried out and within a few weeks we will have some idea whether or not there's anything to this famatidine story but at this point there is absolutely no reason and no evidence to rush to the pharmacy and start taking pepsid either in order to prevent infection or to treat an infection Let us wait until the researchers do the work, until we have results of a controlled, randomized, double-blind trial, and then maybe we can make some recommendation. Hopefully, uh, something along these lines will eventually uh, be seen to work. That would be great, and wouldn't it be amazing if sort of a random observation like this, that people who were suffering from heartburn in China uh, were less likely to die of of, uh, COVID, uh, wouldn't it be amazing if that actually led to some sort of uh, medication? But anyway, that's where it stands at this point. Do not bother your pharmacist for Pepcid. And above all, do not crush up your Pepcid tablets and attempt to mainline them or insert them into the body in any other way. All right, we'll take a break for the news. And after that, we'll come back and see if we can tantalize you with a little entertainment with our quiz. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. Science you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Interesting text question. Does your show go across Canada? And if not, why not? Well, it actually does. It's on the Internet. You can listen live anywhere in the world. And people do. And I know that because we get uh, questions from everywhere by email mostly and uh, the show is also recorded so you can access it at any time but to do that you have to go to our website which is www.mcgill.ca/oss uh, uh, www.mcgill.ca/oss and uh, that's our Uh, Office for Science and Society website and there's a block there where you can see all of the uh, uh, Dr. Joe shows that have been recorded. You can access them all. Of course there's a lot of other useful information there and uh, you can also sign up for a weekly newsletter which comes for free. Something else that we have started to do and I know many of you already know this is every Thursday afternoon we have an online program that we stream live with my colleagues from uh, from my office and uh, we answer questions about covid mostly but eventually uh, i hope that we will you know delve into other areas too as the covid hopefully dies um, dies away oh someone just said they're listening to the show from brazil well isn't that interesting All right, Uh, someone else mentioned that they went to the pharmacy and the rubbing alcohol that they get there is ethanol. It says so on the bottle. If it is labeled as rubbing alcohol, if you see the word rubbing alcohol and it shows ethanol as the ingredient, that is actually mislabeled uh, because rubbing alcohol by definition is isopropyl uh, alcohol. Now, of course, you can buy alcohol as ethanol, but it should not be labeled as rubbing uh, alcohol. Both ethanol and uh, isopropanol are very effective disinfectants when it comes to cleaning surfaces. Okay, let's just take a little bit of break and have a touch of fun uh, with a quiz. So let's see who we have on the line. Hi, Val. Hello. Hi. You ready to go for a little quiz here? Yes. All right. All right. The name of this chemical company, whose first commercial product was saccharin, came from the maiden name of the owner's wife. What chemical company was that? Uh, I don't know. All right. You know what? I'll be kind to you. I'm going to give you another another question. Oh, thank you. All right. Um, More than half of the coastline of the U.S. is in what state? of the coastline in what state uh i i couldn't i couldn't tell you sorry all right i'll tell you the answer to that one because it's a very interesting one it's alaska believe it or not alaska has such a long coastline that it makes up about half the coastline of the uh, of the united states all right thank you so much all right thank you all right if someone else wants to get on the line 514-790-0800 will let you start with the question that i asked name of the chemical company whose first commercial product was saccharin and the name came from the maiden name of the owner's wife if you know that you've got a head start you can get on the line 514-790-0800 um, okay so there's a lot of obviously covet questions that uh, come via uh, via text um does the COVID virus last a maximum of 72 hours on surfaces, or has this now changed to 120 hours? Unfortunately, nobody really knows. There, there's really been only one study that was published in New England Journal uh, on, on the surface activity, and it's, it's not a great study. I mean, they did look at cardboard, they looked at copper, they looked at uh, stainless steel. And it turns out that on on cardboard, uh, the virus is uh, active for about uh, a day. On a copper surface, much less, only a couple of hours. And on plastic and on on, uh, steel, uh, it can be up to 72 hours. But uh, this is a very preliminary uh, uh, test. We really need better testing than this. And also, we uh, have to emphasize that The presence of the virus does not mean that the virus is infective, because in order to to have an infection, you need to have a virus that that, uh, has not lost any of its activity and that can get into your body and cause an an infection. Now, the way that this testing is being done uh, is that they actually test for genetic material of the virus that may be present on the surface. They're not actually testing for uh, infective viruses, so for the total virus. They're testing for breakdown products, really. And it's not clear that that parallels the infectivity. So, um, you know, the, the, the jury is still uh, out to lunch on this one. And uh, I, I think, though, that uh, uh, the probability of uh, catching something from a surface is very low, because what you'd have to have is is a sufficiently high enough load of virus on that surface. You'd have to transfer that to your hand. You'd have to have you'd have to transfer a sufficient load to your hand. Then you'd have to touch your face, your mouth, your nose, or your eyes. And um, in theory, you could be infected like that. But there's a lot of ifs in that process, because how did the virus get onto the surface in the first place? It would have had to be sneezed onto there or coughed onto there relatively recently by someone who is infected. Because the virus, of course, does the, the viral load does dissipate with time. It also um, is a question of how it has been exposed to ultraviolet light, how it has been exposed to, to heat. Uh, I don't think that we have many cases that can be documented as being transferred through touching something. The cases that are seen are through direct contact with people, being in the same room with infected people. I think that is a real risk. Uh, And of course, some of those infected people may be asymptomatic so that you don't know that uh, you're dealing with uh, infected people. Outdoors, I really don't think there's much of a chance. Uh, when you're walking on the sidewalk and someone is walking in the opposite direction and you pass them, uh, I would say that there's virtually zero chance of of, uh, uh, contracting the infection uh, like that. Uh, I suppose, you know, you can never say zero because there's always the possibility that at the moment that they're passing you, they, they release a huge sneeze and you just happen to be in its path. It's possible. But these are unlikely situations. So, you know, really since the beginning of this this crisis we have not diverged much from the recommendation and the recommendation is to keep two meters away from people as much as possible and to wash your hands with soap and water as much as possible and cleaning surfaces in the kitchen with soap and water is also a very good way to uh, disinfect them i don't think that you need to wash all your groceries i don't think you need to uh, disinfect them um if if you are really worried about this, you you can store them somewhere for a couple of days uh, in a room, not touch them because the virus will not survive. But I, I think that's also uh, overkill. Uh, there are so many ifs here, you know, that that you can never say something with absolute certainty. Uh, but uh, I think all of this wiping and sanitizing groceries is uh, is overkill. Anyway, uh, we've got some other people on the line who are willing to take a shot at the quiz. Uh, But before we do that, we'll check traffic. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. Your source when you need answers. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. The uh, nonsense about the 5G network, which is being instituted in many cities, uh, being a cause of COVID, uh, this absurdity is, is getting traction out there among the conspiracy theorists. It's ridiculous, uh, and if you want to uh, know more about it, in our newsletter that came out yesterday, my colleague Jonathan Jerry has written a, a whole piece on this, outlining why it is absurd. And again, if you want that uh, newsletter, you can go to our website, and on our website you can read the article itself. So it's www.mcgill.ca/oss, uh, uh, and you can see for yourself uh, why this whole five G business being linked to COVID is is just. Uh, absolute uh, nonsense. All right, a couple of picture people, <laughs> a couple of people have texted in their supposed answers to the question that I asked about the chemical company and they said uh, Lily uh, or Dow. Both of those are incorrect, incorrect. So let's go to Mark if he wants to play. Hey Mark. How are you Dr. Joe? Good. It's good to talk about something else in COVID. Eh? Let's do it. So uh, what's the chemical company that I was asking okay, about? Okay, for, for, this, for, for uh, saccharin right yes Splenda no no first of all Splenda is not saccharin okay. uh, uh, Splenda is a totally different uh, uh, sweetener and uh, Splenda is much much uh, newer than saccharin yeah. uh, saccharin uh-huh. goes back over uh, hundred years yeah. Splenda is very recent so the, the question let me repeat it the name of the chemical company mm. first commercial product was saccharin but the name of the company. From the maiden name of the owner's wife.
1: Bear.
0: it probably is the most famous chemical company in the world, although it has been much vilified. Bear? No. No. It starts with M. M. Uh, Merck Frost? No. <laughs> uh, geez, you know, I'll probably get the answer when I hang up, you know? Second letter is O. Okay. Monsanto. Yes! <laughs> Oh, my God. Okay. okay. Well, actually, you know, you were kind of right with Bayer because okay. um, uh, Bayer bought Monsanto last year. All right. So, they're so Monsanto no longer uh, exists. All they're right. notorious. Monsanto is a notorious company. Well, yes, it's notorious. I mean, uh, uh, Monsanto has a very, very long history. It's become notorious because it's connection to genetic modified foods. But anyway, yeah. I don't want to get into that ridiculous business. Well, that was great, Dr. John. All have right. A, have a great day. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Hold right. on, hold on. All right. I'll, I'll give you another question. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, what is the most prevalent element in the Earth's crust? Now, we're not talking in its elemental state. It can be in in a combined state, so it can be part of compounds. But the element that is found in the Earth's crust more than any other element? I think it would be iron. It's not, not iron. Okay. All right. Take care. All right, bye. Bye now. Okay, so if anyone else wants to get in on that, that's the question that you can uh, play with. All right, someone else. Text, I just keep hearing mouth and nose, eyes. What about the ears? They're an orifice. Yes. Uh, in theory, it is possible for the virus to pass through the ear. It is true. There is a a, a channel there. And, um, yeah, it's a possibility. Okay, let me just uh, take a look at some of the other uh, texts Uh, from Calgary, from Calgary, a question about the carbon dioxide business and uh, uh, why it is not being extracted from the air, uh, liquefied. Uh, it actually can be, it's just not an economical way to do that. You have to remember that although we talk a great deal about the greenhouse effect and carbon dioxide in the air, the concentration of carbon dioxide in the air is very low. It's, it's less than 1%. So extracting it from the air is not financially lucrative. Now, there always is some, because companies like, like uh, Liquid Air do... Um, make liquid oxygen and liquid nitrogen uh from from the air by by condensing the air and there will be a side product that's carbon dioxide but it's not an economical way to uh, to go about it so the ethanol production is is uh, much more um, uh, much more economical okay uh let me see what else we we have here um Well, again, people are concerned about the groceries and and is storing uh, the groceries in the garage for several days is a good way to quarantine. Actually, it is, especially these days, because your garage is no longer very cold. Uh, I've mentioned before that the virus is very, very labile to heat. You don't have to heat it very much to to destroy it, but it loves cold. The virus can live in uh, winter temperatures, refrigerated temperatures. Well, again, not live because it's not alive, but but uh, it can remain infectious for a long time. Uh, if you store in the garage, and these days the garage is not very cold, uh, you whatever you store in there for a couple of days, very unlikely will have any. Uh, Uh, viable virus uh, on there but again as i said not very likely that uh, you get the viral infection uh, by touching things okay let's go to ivy on the line hi ivy hi dr joe how are you all right you want to play yes i do all right so what element is the most common in the crust of the earth is it carbon no it isn't that's good guess i give i give you another shot Oh, hmm. in the crust of the earth. Yes, which also, um, which of course also includes the oceans and the surface layer of the earth. Silicon? No, no. Okay. All right. I yeah, uh, uh, the uh, my... the, uh the, the um table of elements. <laughs> yes, you need the table of elements. <laughs> All right. All right. My um, my kindness let's... has run out. Okay. Let let me go to uh, Jean Pierre. Jean-Pierre. Hi. Hi. Would it be aluminum? No, it's not. It's not aluminum. is very prevalent in in soil, but overall, when you take into account everything in the crust of the earth, uh, no, it is not uh, not aluminum. Okay. Thank you. It's a very common element. I mean, it's it's when you ask people to name elements, it's one of the first ones that rolls off the uh, tongue. Okay. Uh, Joshua. Hi, Dr. Joe. Hi. Um, for the question, I think it's aluminum. No, it isn't. Aluminum it isn't? Is, is very prevalent, but it is not the most prevalent element in the crux of the, in the crust of the earth. Can I take another guess? Yes. Is it iron? It isn't iron either. Okay, it it is not it. it is not a metal. It's not a metal oh. of, uh, of any kind. Okay, oxygen Yes, it is oh, oxygen. Go. Very good. It's oxygen. oxygen of course is present in water right and yeah. oxygen is present in carbonates oxygen is present in silicates oxygen is present in aluminates yes oxygen is the most common element in the crust of the earth okay. Uh, okay let me let me give you another one okay okay the most famous of michael faraday's public lectures at the royal institution was a series entitled the chemical history of a blank I have no idea. <laughs> All right. I'm going to pass. Well, they, because, listen, because I am feeling so, so kind today, uh, I'm going to give you another one. Okay? Awesome. All right. Uh, John Dalton, who, of course, uh, was the father of the atomic theory, suffered from what physical affliction that is actually commemorated Remember? in a French word? Um, physical affliction? Yes. In a French word, um, I'm not even good in French. Um, I'm going to pass on that one, too. He's a meteorologist, though. I knew that. No, not exactly. But we're talking about John Dalton, who was the founder of the atomic theory, and he was colorblind. And in French, Daltonism is the word for colorblind. All right. But at least you learned something, Right. Exactly, you always learn something that's good. Okay, that's what it's all about. Have a nice day. Okay, well, a little bit of fun there, and uh, we'll try to poke a little bit more fun next week uh, into the serious business of... the COVID that we are all enduring. So check out our website McGill.ca/OSS on Thursday afternoon. Our special guest on our live stream program will be Dr. Paul Offit, probably the world's leading expert on vaccines, and uh, we'll be back with you here, same time, same station. Until then, I'm Josh Schwartz, hoping all the chemistry in your life comes out just right.